Hey, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a very special episode of the Built on Purpose podcast, where each episode I interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. My hope for our listeners is that you can take away a special nugget of information from each of these interviews, something that will serve you and the people most important to you in pursuing a life built on purpose. My name is Brian Moore, co-founder and managing partner of Y Scouts, and today I'm interviewing Ray Del Muro. A wise man once told me that when you are on the right path in life, you'll meet people who've been waiting for you the whole time. Well, Ray is one of those people in my life. He's the founder and CEO of Refresh Glass, a company on a mission to rescue 10 million wine bottles and turn them into everyday glassware. Ray's journey from aerospace engineer to world traveler to the founding of Refresh Glass is a story I think most everyone can relate to. In this interview, we talk about the power of complementary pairs, a theme that has guided Ray throughout his life. Style and function, emotional and logical connection, utility and, de and design. These are just a few examples of the complementary pairs that we discuss in this interview. We also dive into the power of using business as a force for good and why following your passion may not be the best career advice. Immediately upon hearing Ray's story, you're gonna run out and buy a set of refresh glasses for your home or as a gift for a friend or client. Enjoy this great interview with my good friend, Ray Del Muro. So Ray, good afternoon. It is awesome to be with you today. Thanks so much for joining us. How you doing, man? Oh, awesome. Living the dream. <laughs> well, now, why has that become such the uh, cliche phrase of, uh, of, the, of the later 2000s uh, so far? What do you think it is about that phrase? Oh, I don't know. I think it's ridiculous because my life, there's so much going on. There's so many challenges and exciting events. I mean, it's I think it's ridiculous to be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so then you'd be, you, you're, you're one of the guilty ones using that as sort of the, uh, yeah, I'm fine. Let's move on to the next question kind of answer, right? <laughs> I, I didn't admit to that hour. <laughs> so let's, uh, just to give our, our audience, our listeners, a little bit of a sense of, uh, of who you are, if they don't know already, maybe you can help us uh, and share just a little bit about your path. Uh, where you grew up, where you went to school. Give us a, just a quick sense. Okay. I grew up in Pasadena, California. Um, my dad was a fashion designer and my mom was a business person. And I, I always mention this because I grew up with an artistic half and a business half, um, which ended up being my reality now. So I ended up going to school to become an engineer. Um, I almost went to art school, but decided that I didn't want to be poor for my entire life. Um, <laughs> which which is kind of ironic now because I've been really bootstrapping my company for the last couple of years. So I ended up getting both of those two. Um, but uh, when I, when I finished school, I, I was in love with engineering and love with cars. And I ended up transitioning to become an aerospace engineer. And then a few years after, you know, having really built my career, you know, five years in, I, I decided to quit my job and I went on a trip around the world to try to figure out my passion profession. Um, and combine the art and the engineering into a business, which has turned into refresh glass now. So I know growing up, one of the biggest influences that you had was uh, an artist by the name of MC Escher. 
I think, uh, as I read, you really enjoyed the way he was able to blend art with geometry. And clearly, there's this combination of you know, uh, art and engineering uh, that has clearly played a big role into what you're doing at Reflat, Re- Refresh Glass. What, uh, uh, what was your fascination, fascination with Escher? And, and what's, what's the deal with this combining these two very separate fields for you? Um, I was fascinated. My dad gave me a MC Escher. His whole life works. It's this big, big book when I was like seven. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't get over it because this is way before you can do cool spherizing or anything with Photoshop, you know, and I would recreate the drawings themselves. I thought it was awesome. It's like, it's like architecture or a hot rod, you know, they're useful. Like he'd always draw pictures of, of real life geometric objects or buildings, you know? So I, I just fell in love with the concept that something can be both useful and elicit an emotional response at the same time. And so to buoy off the MC Escher question, it, 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 this concept of complementary pairs is the foundation behind my passion for refresh glass because we rescue hundreds of thousands of wine bottles every year that would have gone to landfill and we make useful drinking glasses, vases, candle holders, um, a bunch of different crafts, you know, functional stuff out of them that people have very animated responses to because, I mean, like you and myself, how many bottles of wine have you held in your life? <laughs> sure. you turn into something else? You know, some people get, they're, they're just fascinated by the thought that you can turn into a business. So uh, I want to rewind for a minute because uh, I don't want to glaze over. You made mention that uh, you did some traveling and uh, you traveled to, is it 20 or 21 countries? 21. So 21 countries uh, over a year's time span. Uh, I mean, wow, we could probably talk for hours on some of the different places you visited, the cultures you saw, the people you met. As you look back, what was the most beneficial lesson from that, that year in traveling? Um, there was a guy that I met in Interlaken. Interlaken is in Switzerland. It's basically like the extreme sports capital of Europe. Um, is this cool mountain town that catered to travelers, you know, and so in the summers they'd have spelunking and whitewater rafting and bungee jumping in the winter. They had a lot of snow sports, you know, snowboarding, skiing and all that good stuff. Um, there's this guy I met there. He had this big time sales job with this huge corporation in Indianapolis and we were we were having a couple beers I'm not gonna lie um and he we were having great conversations because he likes technical stuff too because he was in technical sales and he told me this story about his life and how he absolutely loves painting you know the little you know I think they're inch inch and a half tall figurines you see some people like creating war scenes or they do stars or sure or whatever but just the way he was talking about it, he was so he was so passionate about it. He told me that he was so good that he'd won some awards at some fairs or contests, uh, you know, gatherings, conferences where all these people that like this stuff go. And he said that the the company whose paint he uses actually hires him to go to these events to do training seminars. And I asked him if if that's what he'd want to do as his profession. And he kind of gave me an I wish look, but 
I mean, he was just so in love with it. He he lost track of time, and it it was that moment that I kind of I wanted to be able to talk like he talks about painting figurines, and I wanted to try to find a way to do that while making a living at the same time. And so it's this core desire that's kind of driven me for the past seven or eight years to to work on doing that, and it's bled into conscious capitalism. You know, largely where I met you and trying to help do that for other people too. Well, it's interesting, you know, you, this, this blending of doing what you love and following something that really fulfills, provides you with a deep sense of fulfillment and meaning, yet being able to also blend that with doing something that creates value for other people. Um, you know, so often advice that many folks are given is, oh, just follow your passions, yet if your passions don't actually create value for other people, something that the market will pay you for, like this figurine and the, the paint company uh, selecting this individual to, to represent their paints, you know, just following your passions is potentially not the best of advice. Would you agree, disagree? What's your take on that? Yeah, it's really funny you mentioned that. I just was having a conversation with someone about this this weekend. You know, the, the comment that I always start with, because it seems like this comes up a lot is the difference between the golden rule and the platinum rule. You know what I mean? Like to do unto others, everyone knows it, you know, yep. as you want others to do unto you. And then the platinum rule, as I understand it is to do unto others as they want to have done unto themselves. <laughs> sure. And so we we were joking around about interpretive dance and how sometimes you can kind of just look at it with one hand over, you know, one eye and just kind of wincing going like, I don't understand the interpretation. You know, it, I think it's amazing for people to do what they love, but I think it's short-sighted in terms of having real-world value, kind of similar to the golden rule. Because the the way that I heard the story is, if a five-year-old son gives a fire engine toy to his mother for Christmas, that's beautiful, right? In the golden rule type of way, but if you're the husband and you give her a bowling ball like Homer gave to Marge with the name Homer on it, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of self-serving, you know? And so if she wanted, if she wanted flowers on her table, like every week for a month and that's what she wanted, then, then this is real life. Right. And so I, I use it as an example, as a joke, but I think that you hit, you hit the nail on the head, you know, it's, it's finding ways to create value for other people. And that's what, we try to do it refresh class and it's been a big part of my maturation process in terms of running the business here. So uh, you started your career though, in something very different. Uh, you were an aerospace engineer. So before we get into, and I, I want to spend some time talking about refresh glass, um, that's not where you started. You know, you went to Cal Poly slow, you got your degree and you are now an aerospace engineer. And uh, as I understand it, you got to play with some pretty cool equipment, some some pretty big toys. Uh, give us a sense of, you know, that first part of your career and how that led to uh, where you're at today. Well, as a kid, I, I wanted to be MacGyver or uh, the A-Team. Um, that part back then was like, at the very middle of every episode, they build something and then they blow something up. So um, I got over the blowing stuff up part. Uh, did you really? And, For sure? You did? Well, mostly. <laughs> now, now when it happens, I'm upset. No, I'm kidding. It's, that we we don't use the e word in my shop, so um, ever because we do 
we, we play with a lot of heat, so no one ever gets hurt here. Good, good, good to say. We've yeah, that's a, very good thing. But, that's, uh, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Yeah, totally good thing. Well, it's kind of like uh, the kids who like tinkering, you know, they're good at taking apart all the radios in dad's garage. And it's not until I was like in my early 20s I could put stuff back together properly. <laughs> um, no, man. So, I mean, uh, when I was 21 years old, I bought a hot rod because it was my dream car. And I still can say that today I own the car I've always wanted. You know, it's a 55 Chevy two-door sedan that I've modified, you know, and it, it kind of bleeds back to the, the complementary pair of logic and emotion or, you know, function and style that I think is necessary for everything, for relationships. You want someone who's funny and smart, you know what I mean? We've had a conversation like this before, you know, and I just think that the engineering part to me was awesome because now instead of building furniture at home or a hot rod in my garage, I can build airplanes that fly and transport people around. I mean, the, the scale and the precision and the tools was just fascinating to me, absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I guess that's a, uh, as opposed to tinkering around and not to make light of building a hot rod, which there's no instruction manual that would help me uh, successfully complete that. Uh, Although for you, it sounds like it's just almost second nature to building then big airplane parts is uh, that's, that's, yeah, that's a different scale. It's a very different scale. So you did that for what, about five years? Yeah, it was almost exactly five years. And did you just hit a wall? Was there an epiphany of sorts? Um, what what happened? Yeah, it was kind of a punch in the gut. I mean, I, I joke around and I tell people that I hit my midlife crisis at 28. Um, but what I really think happened, it, for me, it has to do with the Western paradigm. Um, there, there's an underlying foundational message in, in marketing and with what it feels like a lot of parents or, you know, society tells you that you need to go to school to get good grades so you can get a good job so you can afford a lifestyle and support a family and buy a house and a car. And at some point along the way, you'll be happy, right? There's, there's this connection that, that someone's selling out there that seems prevalent in media and, and dialogue around a dinner table. Um, what happened for me, although, I didn't get the perfect grades in school. I mean, I, I did well, but I finished and I got a good internship and a job and it felt like I was on the path and, you know, girlfriend and I had the car I wanted. I lived a block away from the water in Huntington Beach. And at some point, it felt like my job was, you know, it had big muscles, but it didn't have the personality that I wanted. I didn't have the emotional attachment to it anymore after I kind of figured out how a lot of the machines worked. And they actually ended up putting me in charge of all of them for all 16 divisions because I really liked it. But it, it just lost its personality. I had some money in the bank and I just didn't love what I did. And I, I felt lied to. I felt that I was missing the emotional component that was never a part of the equation. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like you had the logical piece all wrapped up tight, but it was really that sense of meaning and purpose from what you're doing. Although you spoke of it and the precision that it takes to work on the types of uh, machinery you were working on and the importance that that machinery has in flying people all over the world. I mean, that's, that's some pretty important stuff. What, what, what was missing? Um, honestly, I, 
just starting with why or just my my emotional engagement to it. You know, I, I didn't, I felt like I was doing something robotic. I wasn't passionate about it anymore, even though I was extremely so when I started. So, I mean, th this is the whole reason. I, honestly, I can articulate it to a fair sense now, but if we're talking about the 28-year-old me, you know, 10 years ago, I, I didn't know, I didn't know how to put my finger on it. I knew what I was doing wasn't working. And so I knew I needed a change and I was arrogant enough to think that I could figure it out. So that it was around then that I just circled a date on the calendar of when I was going to resign. And I turned my two weeks notice into the vice president of ops for a billion dollar year company. And I, I left. And just like that. Yeah. <laughs> my mom thought I was nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I would imagine lots of parents would. Uh, what did was there a plan that you had, or that was just you circled the date? The date had come, and it was time to go do something else. Yeah, it was. I mean, uh, it was early February, you know, two thousand six, two thousand six. You know, and uh, I asked everyone that I knew. Uh, if they were planning on any trips abroad and I wanted to go around, make a trip around the world, it was kind of a middle finger to society because I've never heard of anyone that I've known doing it. And I was squirreling away some cash for a down payment on a house. And this is like in 2006, 2007, mind you. So I probably would have lost it anyway. So I guess I can't be mad about being gone now. But, <laughs> um, you know, I just figured that I'd travel and I love taking pictures is kind of a hobbyist photographer and I'm not afraid to walk up to someone and smile and say hi and hey you know like you want to have a beer you know whatever um and so I just said screw it and that I'd figure it out but the, the game plan for me was that when I got back that I'd have my at least my equation down of what my passion profession looks like so I could put energy towards that. And so when you met uh, this individual uh, from Indy in, in Interlochen and he inspired you with this painting story or his livelihood, what he was doing, was there was was refresh already a thought was rescuing wine bottles, something that you had contemplated before? Had you seen it? Like, where did this come from? You know what? I'm glad you kind of asked me about this part because I'm going to tell you something that doesn't normally come up when I have conversations about refresh. And it's when, when I got back from my trip, the last leg was in Australia and a friend of mine, and this is how I ended up winding up in, in the Phoenix area, who I knew from the aerospace days, called me and said, Ray, I need someone who can work on these you know, CNC machines in terms of selling them or, or working with the company he was working with. And who also has some decent people skills and he wanted me for that spot. And that's why I ended up moving here. You know, there was a year after I got back from my trip that was probably the worst year of my life because my, my equation that I came back with was brutally simple. It was to find a way to combine the functionality of something that has utility of engineering with the animated responses of art that helps the community in some way, because I really got bit with the bug of the, the true traveling sense of community. Um, and, uh, for a year after I got back, I, I worked with this guy for a month. I worked with someone else 
and I was the engineer that was sent to China to try to find new products to, to containerize and send back here. And then I was a Six Sigma consultant for a few months as well. And I was absolutely miserable because I knew the way I wanted it to feel and I knew the functional parts to it, but I didn't know how to do it um, until I got fired from the Six Sigma company. Uh, Cause they said I was really smart and nice, but I didn't like doing things the way that they liked doing them. So they, <laughs> when they let me go, when they let me go on a Friday, it was the first time I've ever been fired. It was kind of, it was emotional. I'd, I'd never been fired from anything. Um, the, the guy who's a Six Sigma master black belt, he's like stupid smart. Um, and it was really hard to do. And then he, he implored me, he's like, Ray, go get some, ex a little bit more experience. And you know, there's a good chance that we'll hire you back in a couple years. And my thought to that was through that I'm sick of working for other people. I'm going to go start something on my own. Cause I, I just don't see this pattern stopping anymore. Um, so I, yeah, I just, I got a bartending job and started slinging drinks at night and working on different ideas for projects during the day. And it was during that period that refresh class was one of those ideas. And I kind of ran with it. So uh, just to drill on that a little bit further, you know, serving as a bartender, obviously pouring drinks, throwing bottles away, did it what was that is that where it came from and seeing what was happening with all this glassware that uh, was just going to you know wherever it was going to the recycle yeah no uh, not even i mean uh, in arizona like in many states and, and mind you I, i've become really good friends with the people at um at public works which is the larger division that recycling and trash goes into for the city of phoenix and the state you know we actually got an award for recycling small business of the year for Arizona because they just can't do anything with glass. Glass is a commodity and this is where it gets into the more technical, you know, money side, you know, commodities are traded raw materials that have fiscal value. Right. It, it's, the, it's the hardest of all the commodities for them to do anything with because it's heavy. You can't bundle it, palletize it or wire wrap it, you know, so it's hard to transport. You have to separate it in three different colors. You have to remove the foreign object debris. And the plants to run them are like a billion dollars. And I'm probably exaggerating, but it's like you have to flow 2,500 degree molten liquid through tubes. You know, that's not cheap sure. to do that. Sure. You know, so, so I didn't know that then. All I knew back then was that no one was recycling them. And I had bottles at, you know, both the restaurant and a couple of my house, you know, goes, you know, so. <laughs> Just a couple. Uh, yeah, depends on the weekend, I guess. But, yeah. So it, it wasn't a money-making idea. There was a kit online for 40 bucks. I bought the kit, you know, and, and being the curious uh, engineer, you know, cost quality time efficiency trained guy that I just love making stuff. The first one I made took, took like two days and it looked like crap. And I just knew there had to be a better way. And then I started showing my friends who'd come over and I had access to liquor bottles and a bunch of different styles and everyone loved it and wanted to buy some. So it's really humble beginnings. Yeah, it sounds like it. Now, the, the business has, uh, has grown considerably since the time you launched. I know there's a lot of great uh, growth still ahead of you. As, as it started to take off, um, what were some of the biggest challenges that you had? Uh, obviously, you know, getting restaurants and hotels and those that are 
going through a fair amount of wine bottles, uh, did you run into challenges with asking them, hey, instead of just throwing them in the trash, can you set them aside and I'll come pick them up? I mean, how did this whole thing, how, how did you start building enough inventory to do this to where you could provide enough product uh, for those that, uh, you know, would, would obviously want this? The supply chain part and the manufacturing side were weren't as hard for me as the business sales, marketing, and finance side. Okay. Um, I mean, is that a lot to do with where you came from and your experience? In, oh, absolutely. In, okay. At, absolutely. I mean, the, the way I'm kind of steering this right now is that it, it's a combination of team building, which I know is big in your wheelhouse, you know, and being honest with myself about what I was good at and what I suck at and what I want to do and what I don't want to do. And when you're an early stage entrepreneur, which I probably instill in that category, you know, you think you're good at everything and you think you have to do everything and be involved with everything and you don't, you know, and I think the best entrepreneurs and, and being around people in EO and YPO and conscious capitalism and a lot of the circles that you and I have seen, you know what I mean? And, and been exposed to, I think the smartest entrepreneurs out there know what they're good at and they develop very high functioning teams that have people in the right spot. And I'm not just talking about disc profiles, but really functional complements where the, the right, the right person is in the right spot and you have scorecards and metrics and systems to really get the right things done. And it's only been recently that I've gotten at least fairly proficient at doing that. So, and you brought up earlier conscious capitalism, which is something you and I are both very passionate about. And, you know, as, as we talk about it and as we meet like-minded folks, uh, I know we share a similar philosophy that this is just a better way of doing business. But at the end of the day, this is still about doing business. You can, you can have both. It is an and equation. It's you can make money and you can do very good things for the world and use your business as a force for good, essentially. What is it about this concept that you think is missing, uh, which has resulted in not enough people really aspiring to run their business this way? You know, I think it's a couple things. Um, you know, I, I talked a little bit about the Western paradigm and the, the connection of if you have enough money, you'll be happy is kind of where it, it stems from, right? Um, the, the thing that I think that, that there, there's two things that I think are largely missing. One is habit. Habit's a bitch. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. You know what I mean? But habit's tough. You, um, you can say whatever you want, by the way. Okay. So basically people are used to doing things the way that they're used to doing them because that's the way that they've always done them. And that's the way that everyone has always taught them. Right. So there's, there's something to be said for, for habit. I mean, habit runs people's lives. It, it's, it's absolutely insane how many weeks can go by when you don't have a deliberate thought of, I should do this instead. Why am I doing it like this? You know, like it scares me that time goes by so fast and I am as old as I am. And I don't have that thought more often, you know, and, and the other part is, baiting the hook to suit the fish. So I love complementary pairs. I use it, you know, the, the logic and emotion, the, the flavor and sustenance, the, 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 the fun and fun and smart 
conversation. I, I have 20 different ways of saying that. And I think that it's very true in this instance as well. So here, I'll, I'll use refresh class as an example real quick. Um, for a long time, I used to try to sell our glassware by telling people that we have a, a mission to rescue 10 million bottles and we've almost reached our first million bottles rescued. And that by using our glasses in your restaurant or selling them in your retail store, that you can help us achieve this goal. But if the golden rule was the standard, then I'd just be talking about me. And I wouldn't be talking about how they benefit from it. So the way that I've changed the conversation now to be more like the platinum rule, and I think this is kind of going together well, is now I tell them in their restaurant that we can mathematically prove that because our glasses are so thick and durable that they'll have less breakage and they'll save money on their water glasses every year, right? They also have to fill out documentation that to the government now legally that shows what they're doing to help support the environment in terms of their sustainable practices, right? They have something to talk to their guests about in terms of having something that's very obviously repurposed to initiate dialogue through and that they could point through instead of the guests accusing them of just wanting to save money on water costs by having those signs in the bathrooms about the shower and the towels, you know? Sure. So it's not about me anymore. Even though I want to grow refresh glass and I want to make a good living, which I think is totally fair, you know, but I've just stopped making it about me. And I think conscious capitalism does that same thing because conscious capitalism is centered around the, the premise that by including your stakeholders as a valued part of your decision-making process. So this not only includes your shareholders and the owners, but your employees, your vendors, your customers, the community, that you'll grow more because of it. But it makes so much sense to me, and I've seen it happen so many times now, that when employers treat their employees well, then the employees treat their customers better, and they treat the products better, and the product quality increases, the efficiency increases, they stay longer, which decreases HR costs, like in the example of White Scouts, you know, with you guys, that it's leading to competitive market advantages, you know, against the people that they're going toe to toe with in the open market. I mean, based on that description, it seems like, again, more people should be jumping on the conscious capitalism train, yet for some reason, uh, it has not reached the level of impact that it clearly has the ability to do so. You think it's just a timing thing? Like it's still, you know, like with anything that makes sense that's going against these habits that you spoke of, you know, going through weeks, months at a time without asking the question that this is just, this is what this is, that, that this is an example of that, that uh, by this time next year or two years or three years from now, that conscious capitalism is simply maybe that term will go away terminology will go away and it'll just be capitalism back the way it was which is using business to create jobs which creates good in the world uh i think it's going to take years multiple lots of years um there's a couple things going on right now that i think are is fascinating uh one of which is boomers are retiring and the Xers, wires, you know what I mean? The people in my generation are stepping in. Yep. So there, there's a big difference. You know, boomers, they still remember 
you know, their grandparents talking about horse-driven carriages and rotary phones, you know what I mean? Yeah. And the mainstay of them growing up. You know, I, I kind of, I remember my first floppy disk moving to a three-and-a-half-inch disk or whatever the little hard ones were. Yep. You know, to, to CDs, and I'm very familiar with iPads. You know, I think we're kind of the transitional, whereas the, the group past mine was born with the iPad in their hands practically, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, they were, by the way. I, I can attest with two uh, two preteens. Uh, it's oh, sick. It's just sick how how proficient they are with this touchscreen technology. It's real. It's sick. Oh yeah, try to take it away from them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you can't. <laughs> trust me. <laughs> so, but I mean, so so one thing right now is their access to information back there was encyclopedias. I mean, I, I hate to to talk down, you know, but. No, it's not a talk down. It's just a reality. Well, yeah, it is a reality. And so there's different ways of doing things and there's faster ways to get information out, you know? And so now what's, what's ending up happening is that the people in Congress, you know, and I'm not going to make this ultra political, but there was people for a lot of years that said global warming doesn't exist, which is asinine, you know, and there's the same people right now who are going to say that, that conscious capitalism is just corporate tree hugging, you know, and they'll, they'll point at whole foods or, you know, companies who are trying to do good things who have bumps in the road. And, you know, there, there's a lot of people that, that you can point to. It, they'll just call this the new greenwashing, you know, and it's not until we have data to back it up that purpose driven cultural businesses, businesses that drive their cultures, that lead to better customer service, better product offerings, better um, retention, you know, lead to fiscal profit. And I think that it's going to take years to build up this data set. But if I'm allowed to ramble on anymore, um, you know, I've made friends with a guy at one of the, at Merrill Lynch, you know what I mean? And their impact funding is growing. And now the same places that are collecting metrics for other types of funds are working on corollary metrics that can, like I said, correlate different outcomes according to the way that you run your business in terms of some of the soft indicators. And so I think that it's not until that you can prove to the markets that it's going to make more money that real things are going to start to change because then they'll write policy around it. They'll start to change the way that you educate people and the way that businesses train and look for it in place. So let, let's bring this uh, close to home for you and the culture that you've been building at Refresh and the team that uh, you have around you. H- how have you built it? You know, what's been the emphasis? Granted, when you started it, uh, it was done to uh, really follow this complementary pair theme that r- is essentially the beacon of your life and the way you think about things. Uh, have you been able to bring in that same sense of logic and emotion into the culture that you've been building? Have you been building it intentionally? Uh, give us a sense. God, I think I'm hypercritical about what I do here. And I, I just, I try to celebrate the wins, but I can just see all the things that I can be doing better too. You know, uh, the way that, that I hired people here and we have kept the vast majority of our employees for years at a time. You know, and sometimes people move or opportunities pop up, which I completely understand. You know, but we, we've kept an incredible amount of awesome, talented people because 
I, I think a job isn't about just making money. It's about building a life, you know? And so how much better is your experience if you enjoy the people sitting next to you? So, I mean, just basically in terms of using our values to hire and fire people, hire, hire discipline and fire has made a huge difference in the type of people that we get. I mean, uh, I, I sell the dream. Don't get me wrong. I mean, uh, I hire in the same way that I run my business in terms of I want people to be a part of making a product that, that they believe in and working with people that they like working with in addition to just collecting a check. That answer I mean, your question? It does. And I think it's a great way to obviously build a business. Um, it's it's a, this complimentary theme uh, again, that's been this, this guiding light of your life is, is really about creating the and scenario as opposed to the or and the idea of just working a job to make money so that you can then, you know, in, in what time you have left, you can enjoy it or you can find something that you enjoy and make money and build, uh, build a far more fulfilling life. I, I think it's great. I think it's fantastic. So let's, um, let me jump the tracks here for a minute because I know uh, you're a big, big fan of live music. And as you and I both know, uh, living here in the Valley of the Sun, that uh, we're not always the first or last stop for many uh, bands. Phoenix is somehow, uh, at least in my opinion, a forgotten city when it comes to live music. We don't get nearly as much as we should. Uh, who would you bring to town if you could right now? Oh, man. Um, I'm going to have to think about that for a second. All right. Let me change the question for you for a second. All right. How about this one? How about this one? You're, you're stuck on the deserted Island and you get to take three albums with you. What three <laughs> albums are you taking? And they can be double live or whatever you can, you can, you can go with whatever you could buy at a record store. Let me see. I would probably take. This is so funny. Um, Master of the Puppets by Metallica, because I literally grew up on that album. It was like my only <laughs> cassette that I had. It was the only cassette that I had for like three years. Oh, come on. You just had a fascination with batteries. Don't don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we got one. Which, so, so Metallica's Master of Puppets. What's number two? Which is the first album, by the way. Um, oh, that was your first album like ever? Uh, no, I mean, a battery was the first song on that album. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, of course. I like I like the Black Keys. There's something about how much music that two people can crank out. You know, kind of similar to White Stripes. Very raw. Yeah, it's good stuff. So, what? Uh, uh, any yeah, any particular it. Black Keys album, or you just you're you're, you're you, you like them all? You know, I do like them all. I'd probably pick their most most recent one, to be perfectly honest. Okay. Um, and then uh, it would probably be like a, as cheesy as it sounds, like some best of techno. Just sometimes I need a, a change of pace in a different, different beats per minute set. Well, I think it's smart. I think if you're going to be stuck on a deserted island and you need to uh, feed the head and the heart, that you're going to need to uh, mix it up a little bit. You know, if you're if you're listening to Master of Puppets all day long. Uh, you, you, uh, I don't know. You might get really angry knowing that you're alone on a deserted Island. Who knows? <laughs> right. Well, well, plus, plus if I have my druthers, I'll make my own guitar. Right. So I'll have my Jack Johnson there. Yeah, that's true. Me. I can, I, 
in my in my crooning and I'll have my little mini Ibiza. So yeah, there I you go. I could totally see it. I could totally see it. <laughs> All right. So uh, back to refresh. Uh, for for those who want to learn more about what you're up to, is refreshglass.com the best place for them to go? It is. Okay. Anything particular that you want to discuss uh, of what you're doing with the business right now around uh, gift giving, personal gifts, uh, corporate gifts, things like that? Yeah, actually, we're really excited. We A couple years ago, we got laser engraving equipment, so now we can etch um, names, logos, and, and other fun stuff on glassware. And the impact that it's had has been amazing. So. We really, we do a lot with real estate agents to make impactful closing gifts. And I guess the way that just to kind of pull everything together, the, the amazing part for me, and I literally got back from a meeting today um, where I'll give you a real world example that I was meeting with a very successful office in Fountain Hills, which is kind of a, a, a nicer, a larger home area of town here. Um, and I've got, I just feel like we're getting better about asking the, our client base, the people who support us, what they want as opposed to pushing what I think that they need. So what ended up happening is we have, we have two different basic options, right? One option is to get the person's last name etched on all four 16-ounce glasses that we send in this really nice four-pack. So for you, it, it, you'd have four, four glasses that say more, M-O-H-R, your last name, right? And so I was talking to this top 100 realtor and his you know within his larger conglomerate right and his office manager and i asked him i said which would you rather would you have rather have four glasses that say your last name or would you rather have four glasses that say cheers in four different languages that we stock and i swore that they were going to say i'd rather have my last name but their answer surprised me what the guy that uh, the broker and his office manager said is they said that they'd rather have the cheers in four languages. One, because we can get it out faster and stock it. And two, because they love these gifts because every single member of the family, not just one of them, will likely use them every day. And when they have friends come over to the house, they would rather that their clients feel comfortable in giving them a glass that says cheers in different languages, as opposed to feeling the awkwardness of giving them a glass that has their name on it, where they might feel conceited doing that. Mm, interesting. Because okay. because that way, when the other person asks, where did you get these? They're more likely to create a scenario where they're like, I got it from my badass rock star, you know, real estate agent. And then they'd share their story and get either a repeat from that customer or a referral, which drives their business. You know, so... And it totally aligns no, to yeah, it totally aligns to uh, this idea of really living into the platinum rule as opposed to just assuming the gold, golden rule is a way to go. Ask them what they want instead of assuming you know what it is they want because it's what you would want. Well, and it makes my life easier too because I can stock cheers in four languages. I can't stock every person's different last name, you know. So <laughs> sure. Uh, well, I, and so I told him, I was like, hey, man, operationally, this is easier for me. If you buy a certain number of these every month, I'll give you a 10% discount code. 100% of the ordering is online. And I did that because of another recommendation that they're like, Ray, you need to make ordering easier. Okay, so then we just put everything online. So now you can order straight off our website. You know, and so I was really excited, you know what I mean, uh, about this 
change because now I can bring this to other brokers, offices, and agents who probably want that same convenience and that same result. That's awesome. I I I, I have to share a quick story if I can, um, <laughs> and this is about you. Um, I was in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, about a month ago, maybe six weeks ago. And on the very last night I was there, I was there with my wife and my sister-in-law and brother-in-law. We were celebrating a birthday party and walked into a restaurant. The name of the restaurant is Husk, H-U-S-K, and sat down at the table. And you know, as, as I do at most restaurants, just kind of get a sense of the decor and uh, some of the people that are there, some of the guests. And as I was sitting at the table, I couldn't help but immediately notice the water glasses. And it was clear as day that they were recycled wine glasses. I lifted it up, felt the bottom, and something about it led me to believe that, oh my God, these are refreshed glass glasses. And sure enough, uh, the, our server comes by and I ask him, Hey, uh, do you know where these glasses are purchased from? And he said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. It's a company called Refresh Glass. And I, of course, lit up like a Christmas tree and said, oh, yeah, well, do you know much about them? And this server went on to tell me essentially the full story of what Refresh Glass is all about, The uh, excuse me, the 10 million uh, rescue, how important it is for them to do their, their part. Uh, in, in, in environmental uh, consciousness. And it was, you know, obviously having known you and to know that this restaurant cared enough to share with their team, those who would be interfacing with the public, what it was all about uh, was just awesome and a, a real sense of pride that I had. So I wanted to share that with you. So uh, you, you, you guys are definitely having an impact. Uh, and this complimentary pairs you know, it really reminds me a lot of this idea of one plus one equals 11. When you can combine form and function, logic and emotion, style and function, um, you know, the golden rule with the platinum rule, you can really achieve something. The sum is so much greater than the parts. And clearly you're living that. And uh, it's awesome, Ray. Uh, it's just it's great to watch you guys do what you're doing. Yeah, I really appreciate it, man. We're working on it. Yep, we'll keep working on it. I uh, I, I I can't can't thank you enough for joining us. Um, if there's any questions that our audience has, if they shoot my way, I'm definitely going to shoot some questions your way. If there's some follow up, and uh, hopefully we'll have a chance to see each other real soon. Yeah, I'd like that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, my man. You got it. Talk soon. Until next time, thank you for listening, folks. You can obtain a transcribed version of this show and hear more interviews from the Built on Purpose podcast on our website, yscouts.com forward slash podcast. If you have any questions you'd like me to send Ray, drop me a line at brian at yscouts.com and I'll gladly forward them on. If you enjoyed Ray's interview, there are several others I think you'll dig as well. Andy Cernovitz, author of Word of Mouth Marketing, How Smart Companies Get People Talking, and the founder and CEO of GasPedal.com. John Schufelt, emergency room doc, attorney, pilot, author, speaker, coach, guitar player, CEO, and relentless learner. And Ann Rhodes, former chief people officer at Southwest Airlines and the author of Built on Values, are just a few of the many episodes you can find at yscouts.com forward slash podcast. I promise more great interviews are on the way. Thanks again for listening.